Welcome, guys. I'm Jim Collins, and welcome to another episode of Journey to the Pit. I will be your host this evening. Uh, if y'all guys first time over here, over to Journey to the Pit, and we what we do over here is we interview game file breeders from all over the world, and I mean literally all over the world to get a unfiltered access to their history, their journey, and also all their tips and tricks about what they do in raising game fowl. So we have a special guest tonight. We usually bring guests on every Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have a great guest coming in from the West Coast. Um, I think y'all guys will, again, enjoy his story, enjoy his background. He will be sharing some of his tips and tricks of what he do in raising game fowl and what he has done uh, to obtain his success. Um, I think, uh, again, it's a lot of stuff that we can learn from him. He's not a very large farm, but he has some very great information. Um, started out, you know, again, you know, not big at all. So uh, I think a lot of guys will be able to relate to his situation <clears throat> because he's more of a typical game fowl breeder here in the state. You know, um, I say all the time that many game fowl breeders, only 5% of game fowl breeders in the states are large. Majority of or the backbone of the sport of game fowl breeders are going to be, you know, pretty medium to small size game fowl breeders. So this one breeder right here that I, I'm sure that many of us can relate to um he's going to be talking about you know obviously his background how he got into game foul you know we'll talk about the bloodlines that he have and you know how he raises foul how he care for them and all those kind of things so again guys just sit back get ready um i just want to make sure that the audio and everything is good hope everything's good we didn't start at nine o'clock tonight because we had a couple of you know technical difficulties uh yeah i'm glad it seems like we got guys already chiming in Guys, let me know if you hear echo at all, if the audio and everything is good. It looks like we got some good views. We got people over here from uh, YouTube and also uh, Facebook. So if you're watching from YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and that bell notification so you'll get notifications when we do go live. If you're watching from the Journey to the Pit fan page on Facebook, make sure you hit that like button and also that notification button so you'll get the notifications. I ask y'all guys to share the information information because it's, it's extremely important because it's, there's a lot of people out there that can use this information but if we don't share it then there's a lot of people out there that will be making a lot of mistakes that they would not have to make if they knew these interviews existed um i know journey to the pit is watched all over the world but there's still a lot of people who have never even heard of journey to the pit so there's a lot of guys out there do them a favor um and share the share the interviews you know share the interviews go to the youtube channel Watch those interviews. There is just hundreds and hundreds of years. I'm literally saying hundreds of years, hundreds of years of information and experience on there from, like I say, small, medium, and large farms. I think y'all guys will really enjoy it, and it's a ton to learn. Um, I see everybody checking in. What's up, Sean? We got Tennessee Adam, Marcus. Everything sound good, look good on YouTube. Thank you, Marcus, on YouTube. Man, I needed to hear that because I didn't know. I didn't even know uh, the screen is not even telling me that it's even streaming to YouTube as of yet. But it seems like y'all guys are watching over there on YouTube. Everything looks good. Everybody's watching. Um, I really appreciate y'all guys, like I said, chiming in. We got somebody watching it from Mexico. Um, again, guys, in the comment section, I don't know if y'all guys can see the comments, which you should be able to. Uh, but uh, we'll have people watching it from all over the world. So tonight, um, again, let me bring in our special guest. Uh, you know, uh, Spanish is not my first language, so I will try to pronounce his name correctly without, uh, he said it's fine too if I, if I don't pronounce it exactly right. 
Uh, Portagui is a name that he's known by, by his fellow uh, Game Five readers. His game farm is named Los Portagues. Portagues. So when he comes on, he'll correct me if it was wrong. But let me bring our special guest on tonight and uh, so we can get to talking and enjoying ourselves. Guys, sit back. Hopefully you got your coffee, you got your phones charged. You know, hopefully maybe you got it on a big screen. Whatever the case is, I hope y'all guys enjoy it. Um, I will try to take some questions from the comment section as we're going along. But again, if you have not watched these interviews before, it's just myself and a game fabricator just having a conversation. And it just so happened to be recorded. Um, I will be downloading this to the podcast for many people ask me about the podcast. I'm trying to get back on track with that. But I'll be downloading this uh, also to the podcast. You can find Journey to the Pit podcast on you know, the Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from, you can search just Journey to the Pit 362, and you'll find a lot of our previous episodes. You'll also find this episode tonight. Uh, we'll have this on a podcast by Monday. Um, so, again, it allows you to get out there and uh, uh, be on a yard and still listen to the podcast. Or if you're in your car, you can listen to it on satellite radio in many different ways. So, Guys, uh, uh, I hope y'all guys enjoy this episode this evening. Um, it's all about each one teach one. And um, Eric, or Portagui, will be on tonight to share some of his information. So let me bring our special guest in uh, this evening. Portagui, welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> What's going on, Jim? Did, it, did I pronounce it correctly? Did you hear uh me? yeah, you're getting there, Los Portugueses. You'll get it. I got it. I I yeah, Los Portugueses. That's what it is. Los, Los Portugueses. Portugueses. Right. Yeah. All right, Los Portugueses. Oh, most of your guys or most of your fellow breeders know you by Portuguese, right? Portuguese, yeah. The, well, Portuguese. What happened there was so we're Portuguese and Los Portugueses is actually in Spanish. But the thing was that we were just dairymen. Um it was me my dad and two uncles and we're just my dad and my uncles were super portuguese i'm talking green greenhorn and when we'd show up they'd be like oh here come portuguese or i viene los portugueses and it was always like that so it kind of just stuck and then it just went from there and we just always kept it you know and then they knew us as oh you know the portuguese you know the portuguese and it just it stuck there wasn't a whole lot of people that were portuguese that were in the game fell community right. so it's kind of stuck out a little bit yeah Okay, well, that's good to know because I promise you many people, even probably close friends of yours, I ain't going to say close friends, but people we have dealt with in the game file community probably didn't know where the name came from. So that's kind of what the, and you said the loss means plural, right? Yeah, it's the, the Portuguese. The, the Portuguese. Los is the Portuguese. Okay, yeah. I got you. So yes, you're sir. Portuguese. So let's, let's first start off, and like I always do, I like to start off with our special guests and talking a little bit about their history. For the people that who do who do not know you so let's just start off a little bit about you know again are you first or second generation uh game foul breeder i'm well i'm second generation but my dad where he started with game foul he's still there he's always liked game foul um him my uncles when they came over from the azores islands they went and worked for a dairy and when they were working there, they were teenagers. There was a Mexican guy there with, with Gamefowl, and uh, they took a liking to it, and they kind of liked it, and then started raising their own, and it never went to much. Um, I remember as a kid, my dad had those 
he had game foul, but he had them mixed in with like the laying hens, and he had pins that uh, you know they look like they were put together with glue, you know those type. Of, you know where the door is, those type of pins, you know. Yeah, so he he didn't he had them, and it was more of a, a thing, you know. And then um, as I got older, uh, I took a liking to it, and I became infatuated with game foul. Like I loved it, you know, to the point where you're in school and your your teacher's talking to you, but you're thinking about what crosses you're gonna make this year, you know, or um, you're supposed to be doing your work and you're actually writing down your crosses, you know, and your and your markings and things like that. And uh, it's it's always been that way for for me since as as far as I can remember, um, I started getting more into it. Uh, we had dairies, we had two dairies, and they were about a mile apart. And I would uh, ride my bike from one dairy to the other, but right in the middle, there was a gentleman that had game foul. And every day after school, I would ride my bike praying that he was outside so I can stop and bug him. You know, I was probably that annoying little kid. He he probably seen me coming. He's like, oh man, like you know what I mean? Oh, here he comes again. But but I always um, made it a point to stop and and help him with whatever he needed help with, whether it be watering or feeding. Uh, and it kind of took off from there. It kind of took off from there. Um, you know, he, he ended up gifting me uh, roosters, you know, for helping him and stuff like that. I would pretty much work, and he'd give me, you know, roosters. And he gave me good ones, um, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and it, and it, it's always been that way um, since I was little. I just I loved it so much, you know. My parents were just strictly working uh, full-time, you know, running a dairy. They didn't think anything more than that but my dad has always supported me in chickens he loves it he just doesn't know much about it so i was the one that had to do all the footwork so i mean I, i'm second generation because he had chickens right yeah i i was the one that pursued it and then they kind of followed me and they were pretty much just pushing me and i was kind of doing the, the work and they were just falling you know, if that makes sense right. um no, it and it's just so- it's Yeah, it's it's just been, sorry, I, it's, I don't know if it had froze, but no, yeah, it's it's always been that way. Rewinding a little bit, if we want to talk about our first rooster, uh, mm-hmm. my first <laughs> my first rooster was a blue. Guy gave me a blue. It was a it was a like a real pretty smoky color pile on his back blue, and that was my first rooster, and I, and I fell in love with them. Uh, unfortunately, they were never produced. You know, I could never get anything out of them. So then it, it forced me to go in other directions. And um, so, then so what, I stuck. What age were you go ahead. then? What age were you then, back then? When you had uh, first back rooster, back. Uh, I was probably like six, seven. Okay. Six, seven years old, maybe. Um, you know, before. And I remember my dad. <laughs> I remember my dad when this is how much he knew. Uh, he had these chickens, these little round pens, and I would go and help him feed. And all he would feed him was rice, and he'd mix egg every day. He'd mix egg and rice, and that's all he fed his chickens. What? And I remember sitting there, you know, with a stick, and he had the water jugs. You know, we just finished drinking orange juice. He cut a hole and he had it on the pen, and we'd sit there and mix it. And now that I think about it, I'm like, oh wow, like I don't even know how those chickens live. So, so he. He, what, was it raw egg or scrambled egg and, 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 and cooked rice or was it raw rice? Like, was it cooked rice? It was, it was raw. It? it was raw rice. And and thinking back, I don't know how, you know, they didn't eat and then it swell up and kill them. I, 
I don't know. And maybe they did, and I don't remember the dead ones. Maybe he hit them from me. I was, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, he that's what he would do. And, um, you know, as I got older and I was talking to the gentleman after, after school and I stopped there, he was like, you know, what are you guys doing? And he, and he would go over and help us and, and actually start, you know, uh, pointing us in the right direction. So, so your first bird was a blue, right? A blue, yeah. So, you know, obviously, fast forward it X amount of years, 20 years, I guess, or 15 years. You know, I don't know exactly how old you are, but fast forward it to today. The birds you have today is obviously different than the stuff you started off with. Correct. Okay. It's it's way, way different. They're not. They're, yeah, there's no. We still we have blues. My partner has blues, but they're yeah. Anything that I had in the past, I did have a family that I kind of wished that I still had. Um, there were these black chickens, and I couldn't tell you what they were. So that man had gifted me uh, a rooster that was he was partially blind and he was half the tailor and half Perry Hatch, and he gifted me that rooster, and my dad ended up finagling. I don't remember what he traded, but there was a guy that came over. He says, "Hey, I got these hens." And they're beating on the, beating on my other hands. And we went there, and there were two black hands. They looked area Oriental grade. I don't know what they were, but I took them and I crossed them to that sit tailor, and they made roosters. What? They made roosters. They were, dude. And I couldn't tell you what they were. So, and this is honest story. Um, you know, a lot of people would be like, "Oh, he's lying." But yeah, I took them. They had to be Oriental grade for the reason that they were laying uh, yellow eggs, and they were just a you know, long neck. They had that that build but everything out of them came black and the roosters they were probably eight months old and they were almost hitting the top of the scratch pin it was they were big so thinking back now they had to have been oriental grade so we ended up showing them we did great and i took them and bred them and i had that family and i would just keep crossing them to hatch and keeping the black ones crossing the hatch you know taking the black ones and we go and and we became well known for them the blacks and people would ask, hey, wow. Portuguese, what are they, Warhorse? And I'd be like, yeah. What are they, Sit Taylor? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? They were Pico. I didn't know what they were. Um, but they were great. You know, thinking back, I had so much fun just because I was in love with them black chickens. And uh, I just kept bringing them to hatch. I kept bringing them to hatch. And thinking back, well, maybe, you know, that helped because I was putting that backbone and, and breeding them to, you know, whatever hatch chickens I had available to me. And I did great. And, uh, Leading, I, I probably had them, I don't know, I had them for a real long time, um, and I strictly just bred for black, you know, just because I like the color, you know, I like the black chicken. And I still have a, a, a soft spot for black chickens because as a kid, well, those were the chickens that kind of made us in a, in a way. And to this day, you know, if we would go uh, and, and see people that we haven't seen in a long time, they would ask us, hey, you guys still got those black chickens? I was like, no. And the reason that I ended up getting rid of the black chickens um, was because of uh, way later, I ended up getting the white hackles. And the white hackles pushed me to get rid of the black chickens. And it was, did, huh? that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, wow. and I still have white hackles today. Yeah. And I plan on keeping them for a long time. But those were really good black chickens looking back. I had a blast. Like it, it was fun, you know. And that, so now, now when I see people and they have these chickens, I don't judge them because they're a black chicken that's peacomb and they're not supposed to, or it's a, a Kelso and they're blue legged and that's what they call them. You know, if they're good and you love them and they're making you want to go out there and feed them every single day, 
you call them whatever you want. You know what I mean? You know, it's just it's just love for the game foul. If you love game foul, who cares? You know, if you want to get down to pedigrees, that's fine. But um, it depends on where you want to be in this in this you know um, in the game foul community. You know what I mean? Whether you know whatever you're doing with them. That's, you know what I mean? that's a very valid. I think that's a very valid and great point because, like you say, if it makes you want to go out there and feed them and spend time with them and work with them and all that, I don't care what they look like. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, uh, and a lot of people don't look at it like that, but that's the same thing with me. You know, so again, if it's making you want to go out there and, and deal with the chickens and handle them and feed them and show them and do every, you know, everything you want to do with them. It doesn't matter if they don't fit the standard. I mean, some people are very stuck on it, and I think it needs to be, you know, to a certain extent. But at the end of the day, it's your time, it's your money, it's your yard. You just keep what you want to keep, yes, sir. And be what you want to, and whatever makes you happy, makes you happy. So, um, but that's yeah, awesome, I mean, dude. People, so you got the white heckles down, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, I do have the white heckles. Um, you know, I'm going to that. You know, I tell people, you know, when they ask, oh, how are your chickens, this and that, I tell them the truth. You know, my chickens, you know, they're not, nobody has world beaters, nobody had the best in the world. Um, but if they make you go out there and feed them and you're happy with them, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And, and mine make me want to go out there and feed them. So I'm happy with them and I, and I do plan on trying to keep them as long as I can. You know, I love my white hackles and they're my go-to. Um, and the reason that I ended up getting the white hackles was later... Um, you know, I was maybe in high school. It was, I got the white hackles in about, it was like 99, 2000, right in there. And there was a older gentleman who had, who had them. And um, I would watch him and they needed help. He was a great guy, but he would show up and they had fleas on their face and they just weren't, they needed help. You know what I mean? And I thought they were really good, but they just, somebody, what he, you know, maybe he was just too old and he, you know, he just couldn't get around to it. And so I started helping him out and I, and I went over there just out of sheer, um, I just wanted to help him. I didn't, I didn't want nothing. I didn't want it. You know, I didn't want no chickens in return. I didn't want to buy no chickens. It was just that I thought he was such a good guy. And I'm like, you know, wasn't nobody help him. And I'd go over there and I'd help him spray, move chickens, this and that, and get to talking to him. Um, and at the time I still had my black chickens, but I was seeing other black families and I didn't like them. Um, I would order like them here, order them there. Yeah, so I kept getting black families to try to like work with these, and they just weren't it. You know, they just weren't it. They 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 weren't what I had, and I was dumping money here and there, and it was just it wasn't the same. And they were mean. They were getting so mean um, that it was hard to handle. You know what I mean? Right. So then I, at the same time, that man after helping him, uh, John Mello was his name. Rest in peace, John Mello. Uh, he he ended up gifting me some white hackles, right? Okay. And when I took them home, I got to sparring them, and I looked at my dad. I'm like, we can't win these, like these, dude. You know, and because our, our the black chickens were just they to me they seemed superior. Um, but when we went out, no, they they shut me up quick. Like we did well, and the difference was my black were real flashy the white hackles weren't same outcome but just the white hackles were what they call square-headed dopey didn't look pretty you know weren't easy on the eyes but they got the job done. black chickens were opposite you know they got the job done they were flashy they were just the eye candy you know but they were so mean jim that you know you go to put them up 
and you're playing peekaboo. You know what I mean? You're, you're trying to get them out of the pins, and they're trying to kick you. You go to open a scratch pin, and they're all over you. Where the white hackles, you open the door, you can turn back, make a cup of feed, turn around, he's there, you pick him up, he greets you. It just made me fall in love. And ever since then, I have never turned to mean chickens. It made me go the opposite wow. direction, and I just it, I took off running in that direction and never turned back. Yes, sir. Right. And, and it just, I never turned back. Never turned So now, yeah, I don't even tolerate it. Yeah. And, and I don't know if it was when you're, you know, when you're younger, your pain tolerance is, is higher mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. You may, you're a little faster. And as you get older, you're not as fast. So they're tagging you more and you're just, you know, it, it starts to hurt more than it did when you were younger. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, the white hackle just made me fall, fall in love with them. And, and I became really good friends with Johnny. Johnny became almost like my grandfather. Um, and it became, it got to the point where he just gifted me the whole yard. He gives me the whole yard, and it's just been. And I tell people maybe they're not the best in the world, but maybe it's a sentimental thing. But I absolutely love them chickens, you know. Um, Kids go, kids go out there. My daughter, she goes out there, and she can pick one up right off the court. I don't got to worry about it. Um, And it's just, I love them. So that's that's where I am with with them. Right, and they still get the job done. Basically, like you said, there's no world beaters, but they get the job done. But you love their temperament for sure. Yes. Yeah. And they, they, um, you know, I don't, as I got older, um, I started noticing I didn't need flash. I wasn't going out there trying to look pretty losing, you know, I, uh, mm-hmm. I just bred what I liked, you know, um, I didn't, I wasn't right. trying to put on a show for nobody and it was just, it was about me. So it was, it's what I liked, you know, and, and that's, what's fun about this sport too, is we all think different, you know? Um, some guys like it, some guys don't. Uh, it's it's an amazing thing, and I think that's that's one thing that's that's beautiful about this sport is we can all delete chickens and start with the same family, and within ten years they'd be all different again. You know what I mean? Um, and that's one thing I, I yeah yeah. Some of these guys, after sixteen months, they'd be like, "What the heck is that over there?" You'd be like, "What do you got?" Yes, sir. After they first after the first breeding season, you'd be like, "What the heck are you doing?" Um, yeah. So, so how many <laughs> do you have now? I like to experiment, right? I'm I'm one of those guys. I, I try to get away from what we what you call skittles. You know, I try not to because I I learned it's it's you can do more with less. So I'm slowly really trying my best to cut down. Um, but I do keep the white hackles, my grays, the hatches, and the muffs are main my main bloods that. I, I breed, but I do once in a while. I'll get something here, I'll get something there. Uh, but like my buddy always tells me, he's like, "Man, they're just passing through the yard," because I get them, and then a couple months later, they're not, they're not there, you know. Um, but those four, those four breeds are, are mainly what what I've always had, and the grays and the white hackles I've had the longest. The grays and the white hackles. Where did you get the grays from? Yes, sir. Another local man um, who recently passed, his name was Doyle Cooper. He got him from Jimmy East, and he had him for a real long time. Um, didn't really let him out to anybody, but he took a liking to me, and he's another one I didn't, you know, I, I acquired him through friendship. And and they've always been, they've been around for a long time, too. So they're just an old family of Jimmy East, Grace. Okay, okay. So give us a brief look, uh, uh, history about the other two lines, and then we can switch gears and talk about some, you know, talk about the, the, the selection and the, 
and, and breeding process and stuff like that. So give us a little a little background on, on the other two lines that you had. So the Rubles also came from Mr. John Mello, and he got them from a, a buddy of his. There's a long story behind it. Um, he ended up getting the blood. A partner he had back in Arkansas ended up with it. And then one day he was on the phone with them talking. He sent a trio, Johnny Bredham, fell in love and story you know i thought they were great um and we've just stuck with them so I, stuck. I got the rubles and the wackles from johnny our grace from doyle and then there's the muffs i'm sure a lot of people who wanted to get on here wanted to hear about the muffs and uh the other day on your on your uh, live live feed i was telling you that uh the muffs were it was a mistake you know it, it wasn't supposed to happen it was more of um hey you know let's get some Breed them up and it'll be fine, you know, something to joke around about, you know, because you got these ugly chickens, um, you know, let's go break someone's heart, you know, because who wants, who wants to lose to them, you know, and it got serious once <laughs> they started piling up, you know, the wind started piling up and, it, and I was just like, wow, you know, I was like, maybe they're better than, than we gave them credit for and they've kind of stuck since and so I had them for a good while too. I got them, I think it was, oh, no, I, about 2010, 2010, I got them. 10, 11, around there is when I got them, and, and I've had them. I got them for a minute, yeah. I usually, if, if they're pretty good, they'll stick around for a couple of years. I don't think, okay, so when you get a family of chickens, um, it's hard to tell if they're going to stick around unless you really do the footwork and get a lot out of them and really judge them. Because it's easy for me to get something, a hen from, from you, and then breed it for, you know, a year or two get four or five some win some lose and you're kind of just like eh, you know so you really got to do the footwork if you're if you're serious and you got to breed a lot of them and really test them you know and and see where they're at you know what i mean um the muffs are just to me they're just like a wackle um i think they got extra hair on their face you know that's right. that's the only difference but um yeah that's those are the four that i mainly breed and i kind of just try and i and there was a time where i would, i told my partner you know i need to cut down to two lines just because, you know, work and stuff like that, um, it becomes a lot. And I, I just feel like if I was to cut down to two, all the, you know, I could put a lot more into two families than four, you know, just because of, of work and space. Because you go to keeping families, you know, you got to keep broodcocks, you got to keep hens. And before you know it, you're looking around and you got, you don't have pen space. Exactly. So, exactly. so, so tell me this. So, you know, now, now, now you talked about the families that you have. <clears throat> yes, sir. Let's start to talk a little bit about you know, the breeding aspect and selection. So, and I know we have talked about this in previous conversations about culling and stuff like that. So we want to kind of get into that now. So tell me this, is your selection process the same with all four of your families? And if not, what's the difference? Uh, you know what? Pretty much. Uh, I think I have an eye for a certain characteristic or certain type that I like, and I just run with it. You know, I don't look for uh certain characteristics in another family the families to me the roosters all have to act the same i like a rooster with attitude comes greets you and i'm talking every day of the year i tell people if you're gonna pick a broodcock pick it in the molt and people look at me like in the molt that's when they're the ugliest i'm like yeah so you can't judge them on feathers you can certainly judge them on attitude because if a rooster doesn't act bad i think it's the molt. The molt's going to stress him out. You know, you might pick a real pretty one out of the brothers, and then in the molt, he's over there looking like a cockatiel because he don't like it. You know what I mean? Um, so I, 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 you know what I mean? So I, I like a good acting rooster year-round. I'm a stickler for that. 
Um, so I, I always choose good acting rooster. I like big back. I don't like tall roosters. It's usually medium to short. And I know I get a lot of heat for that one too because everybody likes the station. I prefer medium to short or medium to high. I'm not a big uh, real tall. You know, I don't like my chickens real tall. Um, but yeah, my brewcocks, and usually when I pick, and I, and, I, and I learned this from somebody, and I think it's a good way of thinking when you're gonna, and actually, <laughs> so I had a bad experience, and that's really where it put me at, and that's where this man told me, told me, you know, when you go to pick brewcocks, pick two of them. Always, two. you're gonna buy two brothers from somebody, buy two of them. Because we know in, in Gamefowl, you can have a real good acting rooster that's real pretty, guys, good attitude, good build and everything. And you might have one that doesn't look as good or doesn't have every characteristic, but you still never know which one's going to produce the best. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I ran into an issue where the best rooster that I had at a brother that had four or five brothers and the one that I thought was going to be the money. You know, I thought this one, this rooster, because I used to have an old family of Dukes, uh, Duke Holsey chickens, and they're really good. The other one that I kind of missed, um, I missed, I, I, I missed them, but I don't. The reason I got rid of them was because of Merrick's, and I didn't want to deal with vaccinating. So uh, I kind of just pushed away from them. But I did learn a lot from that family when I had them. Uh, I learned about Merrick's, and then I learned the whole brother thing, because the best acting rooster... I went heavy on right so I took all my hens and I started breeding different hens to them and I was like man this is going to be the one because that family would tend to come with green eyes he had red eyes he had good attitude sparred the best acted the best well when I got to breeding I ended up making a bunch of chickens out of him and to make a long story short I was sitting there one day and wondering why I couldn't win his offspring and I started calling hens you know different hens and then I looked at his brother that looked like he was across the barnyard, you know, he had all them feathers on the back end. And and I'm like, you know what? I did really good with his offspring. And I started thinking, thinking, I'm like, you know what? That rooster's rank. And I ended up having to call 40 cocks. I went out there and just called all 40 of them. Wow. Yeah, and it was just a learning Great. experience. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah, no, I went out there and I said, you know what? And they were really good. Everything looked the part. Uh, I called my buddy and I was like, hey, you know, this happened, this rooster, and he came over, grabbed beer and sat there because he knew what was coming. And I went through the pens and I called 40. And then, and, and then I, it made me learn, you know, it was a learning experience because then it made me learn, you know what, I'm going to breed two brothers because one might not produce as good as the other. And same thing with hens. You know, you might have five sisters. Every one of them might produce differently. It's what, you know, it's what you want to breed. So, so, so that's yeah. one of the things that you like to do. You like to, you like to pick your cocks in a moat because you're looking for definitely that attitude. You feel as though during the hardest time of the year, um, you know, you like a medium to a short station. Um, obviously you like that temperament. You like a very docile rooster. You like that temperament. Um, and your, your standard is pretty much across the board regardless of what family you looking at. So pretty much all of your roosters is we looking at medium to short station regardless of what fit one out of any of the four families, right? Correct. And, and yeah. you said that you also, huh? And, and I know I'll get, everyone always gives me heat for it. Well, they're too short. I mean, if, if it was, um, if I was breeding for other people, then if I was breeding for other people, I probably wouldn't even have the families of chickens that I have. But 
I'm waiting for me. And I've always had when I when I was with Johnny, uh, Johnny would always tell me, look at their legs, look at their leg with a set. He taught me a couple things. And I, I had individuals from him that were really good individuals. They never let me down a lot of times. And when they drop wing, you can you could just see their toes, if that makes sense, you know, and um, I, to me, I started noticing that those roosters don't miss. And that's just kind of where I went. And um, yeah, I don't know. Everybody likes different things, and that's just the way. So if you go look at my muffs, you go look at my grays, you go look at my rubles and white heckles, they're kind of built the same. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, I kind of have that eye just for built, built like you said earlier, gorillas, but you know, big, strong roosters, uh, good attitudes. They come, you go walk by the pen, they better be greeting me every morning. You know what I mean? Uh, that's just, you know, I like that attitude. I don't mind if they're touchy because, you know, when you don't get your hands on them, uh, you maybe go throw them in, in the keeper the first time. The first week, they might be a little touchy, but after that, you know, um, they usually gentle down pretty well. Right, right. No, and, and, and that's that, that's important, you know, uh, because it goes back to what you just said. I mean, what you said earlier is the fact that, you know, if you have birds that want to make you go out there and feed them and tend to them and, and care for them and, and, and and work with them, then those those are the ones you need to have in your yard. And you just basically practicing what you're preaching. Like you say, if you was breeding for somebody else or, or to sell, you probably wouldn't even have those four families. But those four families is what get you out of bed every day and get you out there in the yard. And they do do good for you. It's not like you're going out to just feeding junk. I mean, it might not be what right. the, the trendy market or what the buyer's market is looking for, but it's what's actually keeping you in the game. You know what I mean? I mean, it's not you're not a donor everywhere just because you got medium station chickens. Um, but I think that's something that some people need to hear because I know there's a lot of individuals out there that's breeding trendy roosters. It may not even be what they exactly like, but they breed it because everybody else is breeding it. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I think Correct. a lot of times, you know, all it takes once that, you know, that's when people start slacking because they're really feeding something that they really don't want. You know what I mean? It's like, I got them. You know, they look good. And you can kind of grow accustomed to anything. You know, you can get a, you can grow, grow accustomed. Well, to you can take something ugly. You look at it long enough, it ain't that ugly. You know what I'm saying? So that, right. that happens well, a lot in our sport. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I tell, you know, we sit around and talk about it. And I tell people, you know, if, if you go to breeding for other people, and other people don't, you know, if you're going to sell and you're breeding for, you know, you know, what you think the market is, right? And you breed a bunch of chickens you don't like and the people don't want to buy them. Well, that leaves you stuck with a lot of roosters that you don't want to feed. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'd rather feed what I like, what I'm, I'm wanting to, to go out and, and, and do the work for. If someone wants one, great. If they don't, that's great, too. You know what I mean? I'm happy either way. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I like to be for me. Yes, sir. Right. Well, your and your customers are coming to you obviously because they kind of like exactly what you like. That's the way I look at it. Breed what you want to breed, and uh, you know, again, the customers that do come is coming to you because they like what you like. You know. Um, yes, sir. And and everybody's situation is different. You know, everybody's situation is different. But especially if you coming up, you definitely need to learn to start to breed what you like, and not so because you ain't gonna be doing a whole bunch of selling anyway. You if if you're a small farm or, you know, medium to small farms, a lot of medium to small farms, they don't sell much. If they do sell much, they maybe sell, you know, 100, 200 at the most chickens a year. You know, one or 200 chickens a year at the most. Um, usually is about 100. Right. 
Um, and if you're only selling 100 chickens a year, I hope that the chickens that you're out there feeding is something that you like. If, you, if you're if you breeding stuff that you don't like just to sell 100 chickens, then that's a sad life. Well, I, I, I think you, you got the game twisted, in my opinion. Kind of got the game twisted. So, right. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, so you got your kind of standards that you like as far as the attitudes and stuff like that with the cocks. And so tell us a little bit about what you look for in your hens. Hens. So if I'm breeding, say five, there's five sisters I kept out of a mating and I want to, you know, I'll keep a lot of hens around. That's, I guess, a bad thing about me. Uh, I value my hens when I value my roosters. So. I'll keep a lot of hens around, but I'm one to keep, you know, five, six sisters, and I will put all those sisters in the pen and then cut down to three or four for myself. Um, the hens, I like good body. I usually look for their eyes, where their legs are set. Um, I don't, I'm not one to count feathers. You know, some people count feathers on their hens, and I, I've heard a lot of people, good pitching men telling me stuff like that. I, I just haven't got into that. Um, I'm more of how the hens act and everything. And I don't like, some people, will take the most aggressive hen and think, you know, she's, she's great. I don't like a hen that if I put five sisters in there, first thing I look for to cull is the sister that's on the roost and never wants to come down. The squirrely one, you know what I'm talking about? When you go to feed and she's getting picked on by everything and she's just like, you know, waits till everything to go roost and then she wants to come down and eat, she's gone. Right. Anything like that <laughs> for a hen that's over, over aggressive. Right. I got a hen that's constantly beating on her sisters I don't like that either. I usually try and keep it where it's they're about the same. You know what I mean? Sound. Yeah, but right. So, so yeah. temperament plays a big role in your in your selection process, right? It seems like from, ta so, from listening to you, temperament definitely plays a lot a big role in your in your selection process. Yes, yes. Temperament. Uh, Jesse Webster said it, and it took me a minute for it to kick in. Jesse Horta told me, when we were up there, he told me, he goes, when you go select, pick a rooster that acts like a rooster and a hen that acts like a hen. And it took me a while to figure that out, but he was right. You know, you want a rooster. I don't like a mean rooster that's going to sit there and pound on the hens. There should be no reason for that. I, I don't like that. Some people do. Um, and everything, you know, everyone's different. Everyone, you know this, everyone has their own selection. I'm just basically going over whatever, what I like. And I don't like a rooster that sits there. I've had mean roosters mean towards me, and I put them with the hens, and they're, they're gentlemen. You know what I mean? They'll let the hens eat first, things like that. You know, there's no reason you put a rooster with a hen, and the next day she's dead. You know, to me, that's just something wrong with them. That's just not right. You know, you don't see that out on a walk. You know, you don't see a rooster beating on hens out on a walk. Um, I just think that's wrong. You know, and same thing with the hen. There shouldn't be a hen that, that's over-aggressive. Um, that's just my way of thinking. Every time I would single mate a hen that I thought was the one, you know, real aggressive and she wants to fight everything, uh, the percentage just wasn't there. And it made it wasn't, me huh? kind of just, you know, I don't, I've had, no, it wasn't there. And for whatever reason, there might be people out there that the percentage is, is there. But from my experience, I had a hen that when I was a kid, this hen would fight stag, she'd fight everything. You put a rooster in there, she'd want to fight her. You'd want to, you'd think she'd want to be, she was a henny or something, you know? She's just real aggressive. She produced all rank, you know what I mean? Um, she was just real rank, and, and it kind of, that's what made me think of that, and then it's just kind of been an experience that's always been stuck in my head, you know what I mean? Now I look for that, too. I don't like, and, and any hen would be aggressive. You know, I have hens, when I got them in a pen together, 
um, they act right, everything's good, but once you separate them for so, you know, a while, you know, you put them back together, they're going to fight, you know, I have them crow at times, you know what I mean, because they want to get to another hen, um, it's just me, I like sound, I like everything to be sound, you know, um, those duke roosters I talked about, when it came around the molt, everything was back in, hitting the roof, and it seemed like a magnet effect, this one would hit the roof, and all of a sudden, the whole yard was going off, and yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that. You know, like that. Well, you know, it, the, the, the great thing about it is, is, you know, your program has developed based on your experiences. You know, your likes and dislikes has kind of came from, you know, stuff that you experienced that you didn't like and stuff that you experienced that you like. So it seems like a lot of the stuff where you are right. today, your program is just a reflection of your past experience, which you have. Like you say, you pick stuff up from other people, you know, more knowledgeable uh, seasoned people. You pick uh, a, a lot of stuff up from them, brought it to your program but it looks like the foundation of your program is really just a reflection of your the upbringing in a sport stuff that you didn't like when you were young stuff that you did like when you were young stuff you had bad situations with you know what i mean you kind of liked and you know going back to your breeding you had a, a, a top-notch you know rooster but then all of a sudden he wasn't producing the one scraggly one over there you thought was just you know just throw him to the side end up being the one that was was pushing out the producer so you know the, the good thing about it, it seems like you've been kind of applying what you've been learning you just ain't been floating through the process of just keeping chickens and just jumping on any type of bandwagon that come through you've been kind of telling your program based upon the experiences that you have had you know throughout your upbringings with these with these not just through the roosters but also with these bloodlines that you're dealing with right yeah yes right yeah i've i've i mean everything has played a part i've i've always been one to um, you know, especially bad experiences. Bad experiences stick in your head, you know, way more than the good ones. Um, I've noticed, you know, I've had roosters where they've done well for me multiple times, and you stick them in the brood pen and they can't produce. Where you might have, a, you know, one individual you stuck them in there, you never showed them or anything like that, and he produces great, you know. Um, it's just, it's all footwork. It's, it's going out there and doing the work. And, and we don't know. The thing is about trying other families, like I said earlier, you know, if you're going to go and buy a rooster, or a hen from somebody and you're going to breed it, it's going to take you two years, yep. two years of your life that you can't get back on an experiment. You know what I mean? And you can't get them back. So if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you just lost two years. You know what I mean? And room for, you know, the stuff that you do like. Right. You know what I mean? When I go out there, I always think like, okay, well, I got so many pins. What do I want to fill it up with? Am I going to try and experiment and have, you know, six, seven experiments in a pin? Or am I going to have, you know, six or seven rubles in my pen? You know what I mean? Um, and that's just where where you got to be. So so tell me something. You know, on, on an average, like how many birds do you raise every year? So I'm not that big. When I, when, when I go up through the molt from stags to cocks for myself, I'll keep about 100 bull stags you know and by the time the mole comes around you know and, and to the next year i hope to have 70. um okay. you know what i mean uh when we raise and we lock them up sometimes we have i don't know 150. 150 is probably max okay. but calling and things happen one you know think you know you you sell one here sell one there or you just call them or whatever and then you start cutting down and i usually have by the end of the year 
I, you know, before the mall, I, I hope to have 70 that I like. Gotcha. You know, if I don't, then I'll have 40 that I like. It just depends on how the mating went that season and, you know, what's out there. Um, but I usually, I'll breed, I don't know, two, 300 chicks um, and then go from there, calling down to what I need. Because you know, I'm limited. I don't have a big place. So um, the ones I really like stick around and the ones I don't, you know, they got to go. Tell me something. Do you do a lot of repeat breedings? Yes. Okay. I do. And and do you do a single main flock breeding or a combination of both? So when I was younger, I did a lot of flock breeding, right? I wanted a bunch. And as I got older, I learned um, if I'm if I'm gonna flock breed now, what I, my flock breeding is maybe two, two or three hens in a hen, and they're usually either sisters. Or the hens that I've single mated and I like, and then I'll put them if I'm going to make a cross. You know, if I'm going to make a cross, I'll throw them in there, and it's just a battle cross. Um, but when it comes to seed fowl, you know, seed stock, I always make I single mate everything because I learned well. You know, if, if they don't come out great or good, uh, you know, there's only two that I can blame. It's either the mom or the dad. Right, right. And and you do do yeah. a lot of repeating. I mean, repeating. Okay. Yeah, and and I mean for a smaller or. For a small operation, you know, you don't need a lot. You know what I mean? You can make an army out of trail. Mm-hmm. You sure can. You know what I mean? I mean Sometimes, <clears throat> I, yeah. You know, I, I'm bad for it. You know, I, I'm one of those, you know, I keep my hands around, and I got way more hands than I need. Um, I don't know, for whatever reason, I like hands, and I'm always worried, you know, I don't want to lose the family or whatever, but uh, I know I don't need that many. You know, the Donnie, he had two roosters and five hens. And it was a cycle every year. Same amount of chicks, same chickens, you know. Um, it was just, it was easy, you know. I can't do that. You know what I mean? I, I, I'd like to, but. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, one maybe one day um, when I'm tired of all the work and I can push myself to do that right now. Yeah. I like to keep my hens around, you know. If I don't use them, a lot of times I'll turn out hens and then just use them as surrogate mothers. Right, right. Uh, I'm gonna go into look. I'm looking at a couple um, <clears throat> comments and uh, some of the guys saying they like the station. Um, one guy say uh, Baldo says is I don't think it's a waste of time experimenting. Uh, it's wasting two years. I think not experiment and suddenly you realize you should have tried certain crosses. Well, I, I think. Baldo, I think what he was basically saying is, you know, not saying he, – he already said he does experiment on his yard all the time anyway. Right? Um, <clears throat> but I think what he what he was trying to – if you want to clarify that, uh, Portuguese, you know, he was saying that he didn't think it was a two-year waste of time. He think, you know, not doing it and realizing you should have did it is a, is a waste of time. But I think he kind of maybe didn't understand exactly what the point you were trying to make. I mean, you can experiment a little bit, but so growing up, a man that I knew by the name of Clark Holder, he, he told me and he put it in a way that it worked well, you know, in our in my brain, it made sense to me because he told me, he goes, every year I'll experiment with one hen. You know, I'll either get different hatch hens and put them on all my because all he had was Albany Grays and Kelso's, right? And he said that every year, he would experiment with one pin. You just can't go out there, you know, if you start getting a bunch of different families 
and experimenting left and right before you know it you're gonna have a bunch of skittles out there you're gonna have a yard of i don't knows you know what i mean skittles i mean that's fine you know and some people are happy with that you know if if that's what you like and you want to experiment if that's what makes you you know happy and want to go out there and feed them by all means you know um it's just in the long run it's better to experiment with less you know you can always fall back on go ahead jim i'm listening no, no, I mean, and not to interrupt you, but what you're saying, and you have heard me say this many times before in other live streams and Instagram and stuff like that, I always say that I believe you should always have an experiment going on on your yard. Now, I didn't say half your yard, a quarter of your yard. One pin is enough. You know, I just said a couple. I think you should always have an experiment going on in your yard. And my justification for thinking like that is, like I said before, every successful cross is a result of an experiment. Every successful cross is a result of an experiment. The first time somebody made that cross, it may, they may have made that cross 50 years ago. Well, you know what? 50 years ago was the beginning of the experiment. Now, again, I think everybody should always have an experiment because you got to always try to keep getting better. You know, these birds are getting better, faster, stronger, everything, smarter. So you got to always have to try try to keep getting better and if you're just breeding the same thing that everybody else is breeding you know you probably just run an even race so you know a lot of the guys out there um, that does these these experimental crosses nobody knows about them until they hit a big show then when they hit a big show then you got everybody and their mama trying to do the same thing with the birds they already had on a yard you know they'll come out and say oh yeah i'm gonna make that cross too yeah you're making it now because somebody just won the golden rooster in mexico with it but you had those birds in your yard for the last 10 years, but you never tried it. So I always encourage people, always have at least a small experiment on your yard all the time. And the justification for that is every single successful cross was a result of an experiment. Now, if you want to start breeding half your yard of mixing and mangling, like I said earlier, it's your time, it's your money, it's your chicken. Now, you know, to me, based on science and just history, if you start filling your yard up with a whole bunch of mixed and mangled up stuff, I mean, it's, to me, I don't see how you get any kind of predictability from that. You know, it's already tough enough, right. you know, and you, you're raising a whole bunch of birds with zero predictability. It's like breeding dogs just because of the same color. You know, I got two Rottweilers or two German Shepherds, and I'm going to start breeding them just because they German Shepherds. Well, you ain't going to take none of their pedigree or their background in, into consideration. You don't know what you want to get temperament be all over the place they get diseases correct that you don't know I mean, about because you just mixing everything yeah. up so, you know i mean going back <clears throat> to that gentleman i experimented the muffs were experiment you know what i mean i got them and they worked but you know how many times that i've gone out and purchased something or tried something from this guy or that guy to cross into mine and been disappointed and i always end up back to my original stuff <clears throat> you know it's you can experiment. It's just getting crazy. Um, you know, you start going out and you buy five trios of different blood. It's going to take you forever to figure those out. You know what I mean? Um, and, and if you want to really break it down, anytime you breed a pullet off of your yard or a stag off your yard that you haven't bred, that's already an experiment because you don't know if they're going to produce. Great point. You know what great I mean? Point. Mm-hmm. That's a great so, point. So, you know, a buddy of mine told me that. And he and he put it that way, and it hit me. He goes, you know, every time we breed a different trio, you take this white hand and you put it with this hatch rooster, and they've never been better. 
even though you've had that family forever, it's an experiment because you don't know if it's going to nick. You don't know if that hen's going to produce. You don't know if that stag's going to produce. And then you're back to scratching your head and, you know, hoping that it does. Right. That no, that's 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 exactly. And I think uh, uh, Baldo said that that he, that was it was clarified, so he understands now. And I and I, that was again something that I think we should have touched on, you know, just to clarify it because I didn't want anybody to get a misconception about the fact, you know. And I'm not trying to overtalk you, but it just from my experience, I'm like, you know, maybe if I explain it this way, he'll understand. But he got it now, and I think uh, I encourage people to always do the experiment. And I use that same real life analogy, you know. Every successful cross started out as an experiment, and I don't care if Mr. Kelso himself did it. You know what I mean? It just was a experiment that started in the 50s instead of 2000. Um, you yeah. know, so so I think, again, you made a very valid point. When you breed in birds that had never been bred before, that's also an experiment. But this is one thing, and if I can say it before we can continue, some advice that I give to, to some guys out there, be, that like to make crosses and do all kinds of experiments and stuff like that. I always say, before you start crossing, try to get some predictability in that family that you're producing already. Before you cross that, because I know guys that buy chickens and then go right out and buy another chicken and cross them immediately. I'm like, you can't even predictably produce that one family and you already cross them. So how do you even know if it's going, like, how do you know what you even expecting? You know what I'm saying? Like, if you got this one cross, I mean, if you have this one family, you have two families, you cannot predictably produce them, meaning that when you breed them, you don't know what you're going to get. If you don't know what you're going to get once you breed them in that particular family, then I don't see why you're crossing. Because you're already starting out with the blind leading the blind. Like, you don't even know what you're going to produce. So if you cross it, how do you know that's a good cross? You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. Yeah, I mean... Um, yeah, I agree, and uh, there are times where I disagree. Um, a buddy of mine ordered a trio, I believe it was Lonnie Harper Grays, and they were super small, and they wanted to make straight ones, and I told them, if the man's crossing the hatch, and them being that small, I would immediately cross them the hatch and see what they're going to do as a cross, because you already know he's told you, you know, um, they're not going to be very good straight. They're so small, they're really something. You know what I mean? They're, they're, there's no weight to them. I would immediately cross them. Cross them to something oh, like a hatch. Get, you know, if the breeder, right. yeah, if, if the breeder's telling you, a lot of guys, I've been at fault. If, if you go and order something and the breeder's telling you, hey, I've had really good luck crossing, you know, my grays to my hatches, different hatches. You get home, you're like, nah, I'm going to make them better. I'm going to cross them to round heads. You might, you might, but. Dude, he's giving you the formula. Hey, look. Yeah, this is the formula. The formula. Exactly. He's done the work. He's done the work. So go home and, and do it like that. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, dude, can him. Because you probably don't need him anyways. Right. You know what I when mean? It goes, um, you, you exactly, that's exactly my point. The guy is already telling you. He's giving you the formula. Like I said, when I go buy roosters, I'm not just buying chickens. I'm buying time. If I can buy the ready-made formula... That's what I'm paying for. How do I breed those roosters? Exactly how the man told me to breed them initially. Now, if you want to veer off track later on down the road, that's fine. But like you said, that man told you, these are short, but crossing with this, and boom, you'll get that. You're just pretty much following instructions. you know. But if you bring them home, and like you say, he tells you to go with a hatch, 
but yet you want to go with a round head. I'm like, okay, all right. I mean, the man had already told you what worked. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, and, and I tell people who are who are starting up in this, and they'll ask me, you know, certain questions. And and a lot of times I'll tell them, you know, if you're getting into this, you know, find what you like, whether it be hatches, grays, kelsos, whatever. Do your study. Find out what you like. Go to a breeder that you respect or that you like. See what they're doing well with. Whatever they're doing well with, whatever the price is, order a trio of each. Get home and do what they're doing. Cross it. If, if, if that's working for them, go home and do the same thing. They're doing the legwork. All you got to do is just get them, come home, and you do your work as far as breeding. And I've seen a couple guys go out there and do it, and their chickens look great. You know, I, I see people, and I, and I respect when people go out there and they're buying what the breed, big breeders are, are doing well with, and they're coming home and, and doing the same thing. That's, in my opinion, that's smart. You know what I mean? Right. Because um, you kind of already have an idea of what you should get. Exactly. It's predictability, dude. That's all I'm saying is that predictability. If you go by a line and a guy tells you to breed him this way and you're going to get this particular chicken out of it, that's the predictability. Now, if you want to cross it, that's fine because you know you can predictably reproduce what you have. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, again... Mew and I both agree. Breed the chickens how the man told you to breed those chickens because obviously you went to that man for a reason. You went to him because you like what he produced. So why would you come home and then try some... I'm not saying don't do it later on down the road, but at least, you know, get you a couple good ones on the ground first. One or two seasons, breeding seasons, and then go to left field with it. But some guys bring them straight home and go. they go buy them to go left field. You know, before they even go pick them up, they already... <laughs> And they're going to let me with them. And I'm like, I mean, you can do it. Again, it's your time, it's your money, it's your chickens. But I always Correct. say, if you want to Correct. trio, pair, breed them first the way the man told you to breed them. Get you a couple chickens on the ground first and then do whatever you want to do. That's that's what I'd say. Yeah, so, and there's a, lot, there's, there's a lot of honest breeders out there, Jim, and and they'll help people out. There's a lot of good breeders out there and a lot of people that, that will help. Just find the ones that will because, you know, we all know there's those ones. They'll send you down a dark alley real quick, you know. Um, but there are the ones that will, they're willing to help, and, and they'll steer you, steer, steer you in the right direction. Um, right. You know, people just have to. I think people get they see a hype and they just want to jump on the train. And I, I, I don't know. I think people are they, they're instantly trying to run before they can even crawl. You know what I mean? Um, and it just takes time. You know, there's no this sport. You, it, it's a lot of legwork, a lot of time, a lot of stress, anxiety. Um, it, and a lot of happiness. Like it, it makes me happy. I've had so much fun with GameFowl, but um, there's, there, you know, if if you're starting up in this, be ready to work. You know, there you can't be lazy. Right. You know what I mean. Um, so you just got to go out there and, and do the work. Right. So t so tell me this since we're talking about breeding and, and you kind of gave us an idea of how you do your selection process, which is pretty much across the board. Um, let's talk about now before we go to, you know, how you raise your chicks, let's talk about the culling process. You know, what are some of the things you take in consideration to determine culling? And is your culling process the same across all families? And if not, what's the difference? I usually call, um, I try to, to be a stickler when it comes to calling because um, I feel like you have to be, if you got seven or eight brothers, you're going to have to 
be real picky. You know, not all of them are going to come out the same. Uh, first thing, you know, I know a lot of guys use brooders and stuff. So for me, I use when I when I hen hatch, um, I don't have to call so hard as far as the feathers, broken toes, you know what I mean, all that stuff. So then I'll go into uh, since I raise a lot with hens, it'll be just the one that doesn't act right, uh, maybe one that just doesn't mature right. Um, you know, just things like that. You go to sparring, you know, he never spars right, you know, things like that. Uh, just simple things like that. I start calling, I start calling out the egg. <laughs> like, I know that sounds funny, but I thought of this the other day, but a guy told me, he goes, hey, you know, if, if, if you're going to be, if you're going to lift that hand and you got your chicks that are all healthy, you know, good clutch of chicks, but you got some eggs, they're having a hard time coming out, you shouldn't be helping them chicks. They're already behind in this life. You know what I mean? And that's just, I took that, in, you know, people might bash me for this and say, man, you're cruel, but dude, it's, if they were out in the wilderness, the hen would pick up, take off with their chicks, they die anyways. Does, does that make sense? You know what it I mean? So I start, I, I start there. That's right. Mm -hmm. So you start at the egg. You know what I mean? I start at the egg. I start at the egg. Uh, I raise, you know, 200 chicks, 300 chicks at times, depending on what I need. Uh, I call the pullets, anything crossed that I'm not keeping, I automatically call them uh, as soon as I can tell their pullets. And if they're, you know, cross pullets, things like that, just for the reason that I don't have the room, it's easier to feed half. Does that make sense? You, you get rid of all your pullets, it's less feed, your stags now have more room to grow, uh, be healthier. Um, and I, I just, I think it's a big thing. I, I think people don't call her enough. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's talk. So let's get more in depth about that. So. We know you, you start calling at the egg, which that's that's very good because, again, if they're struggling to get out the egg, they're already behind the eight ball, like you said. So so you're saying that, you know, before we get to calling hard enough, so let's go through the process. You're starting at the egg. You know, if they're struggling to get out the egg, that's step one. They definitely call. So as they're going along, do you have like, okay, I look at them at two months. I look at them at four months. You know, is it any type of timeline or you just kind of go through buying them? Even even stags, even stags, and and I probably don't even call hard enough. I'm over here telling people, all oh, people don't call hard enough. I probably don't even call hard. There's people that go to extreme, extreme measures. Um, but me, if if I'm walking around and you got stags, you know everything should be healthy. You got that one that's a little humped up. I call them. Um, you know, stags in the pen once they're pinned up, they they might get sick. I might depending on how sick he is, I might call him right then and there. If not, you know, if I think it's something minor, uh, run some medicine. If he doesn't get better, call him. Or if he does get better, the next time he comes around and he gets sick, I'll call him. And the reason I do that is because I think that, you know, they're already not healthy. And when you put them into a keep or something like that and you stress them out, I feel like it's going to come up. You know what I mean? Um, I, that's just my way of thinking. Uh, before, I used to baby everything and try to medicate everything and try to um salvage every little thing you know and then growing up uh those ones that i didn't call were the ones that were costing me in the long run you know what i mean for whatever reason so um i just learned you know what no excuses you know if i go to sparred one day and he turns his head he just for whatever reason he just doesn't want any i call him you know what i mean you just got to be a stickler because then later you can't make an excuse well this was that one that got sick that one time dude those are just excuses you know what I mean? There's no excuse. You got good, healthy fowl. There's no excuse. The only excuse is either you. Um, I'm pretty hard on myself when it comes to certain things. 
uh, I'll criticize myself real bad. You know, whether I'm up or is it you know I overlook something um, and then you go to your brood pens you know was that hen, that hen maybe she's not a producer that rooster ain't a producer I'm constantly thinking uh, I don't know how I don't have a bunch of white hair I'm like constantly stressed out over these chickens and just thinking about everything you know what I mean um, but yeah calling to me for example in the mole <laughs> so I'll go in into the mole and I, I get a lot of heat for this too I've had good buddies good chicken man bash me for this one um, I will call roosters that don't act right in the mall. Okay. I don't care if they're healthy or what. But if but if I walk through and I'm feeding and he's under hacking that pen, I'm calling him. And people say, well, they're stressed out or, you know, they're, they're hurt. And, and maybe I'm wrong for it. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I'm right. But it's just in, in my way of thinking, well, if that rooster's stressed out now in pain, in the future, if he's in that same situation, how do you know he's not going to do the same? You know what I mean? Um, so I just don't want excuses. You know what I mean? I don't want excuses. I just get rid of the problem. Um, goes back to if I'm going to give them 365, they better give me 365. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's just that's just my way of thinking. Like I said, I, it, it's not it, it's not necessarily right because there's probably people out there that are successful. You know, with that type, I just don't I don't tolerate it. I mean, to me, is what's right for you. You know, I don't care what nobody Correct. else is doing. If they want to, if they want to crack the chick out the egg, you know, that's on them. I'm not cracking no chick out no egg. If he can't get out the egg, then he's is gone. You know what I mean? And and you got people that cracked it. I mean, I I even said on a live stream one day we were talking, and I told you I was at this at this farm, and we were walking around. I heard that thing chirping. I'm like, hey man, you got something at the bottom of that bucket. I started looking. He's like, what are you doing looking in that bucket? I said, man, there's something chirping in here. He's like, yeah, and that's why he's in a bucket. If he can't get out that egg, he's going in a bucket. Like, I'm not going to do anything. With, I'm not. He said, I'm not going to go and help him get out the egg. If he's not strong enough to get out the egg, he's already weak. You know, he's already starting off weak. So I don't even think. Yeah. I don't care what nobody else is doing. At the end of the day, my chickens, my money, my time. You know, and I'm not cracking no chicken out no egg. I don't think that's cruel either. I think it's cruel to crack him out the egg and he all malnourished or weakling and all that. And he <laughs> ran over. You know, it's all kinds of situations. It's hard enough to raise chickens when everything going right. You know, you got ones over there who Correct. need to help hand. It's it's too tough, man. It's too it's too tough, and you taking a lot from the other ones too. You know, he taking up space, and then you, then you got to call him at three months old. Now, he done took up space for three months. You know what I mean? Call that thing in the egg. Get him out of here. You know? Make him a chicken nugget. So <clears throat> I am. Um, yeah, I got a, I got a buddy, and he's constantly using the incubator. And, and one thing I, I can't stand, and for me, I don't think there's any reason, if, especially if, if you're raising 1,000. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you're raising, you know, um, for 1,000 chickens, and you're going out there, and there's those roosters with crooked toes or they don't have a tail, things like that. I don't think there's any reason. It's better that you have 500 nice ones and have, you know, a thousand, you know, and half of them are mediocre at best. Um, I don't know. That's just me. Uh, you know, when I go out there, I might not judge your water bucket, but I'm going to judge you for having crooked toes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, I, you know, I don't, they got water great, but them crooked toes, yeah. It's funny that yeah, you said that because you know I'm a stickler on the water bowls, huh? <laughs> you know, I'm always saying that about the Yeah, water. then but yeah. but tell me this though, do you feel as though 
because the size of your yard also uh, forces you to call certain things because of the size of your yard that you Correct. probably wouldn't call if you had more space? Correct. And maybe that is it. You know, I just don't have the room, so I have to just really keep the ones I like. And it's also, you know, um, well, even if I was breeding for other people, we've talked about this. If, if you're breeding for others and you're, you know, there's a market or whatever, you got to have, it puts more pressure on you to have nice ones and, and, and have a nice facility and all that. And um, so even then, I, I think I would be a stickler for, for calling. You know what I mean? I don't want nobody coming over and looking at my crooked toes, you know? Um, so I'd probably still be calling pretty hard. Right, right. Yeah. And, and the reason why I ask that, because I know sometimes, you know, for the guys who's not selling, they get a bigger piece of land, and it seems like they start slacking a little bit on a standards or the color. You know, they start to keep stuff around that normally when they had a smaller place, they would just go ahead and call. And now they got, oh, I got 10 acres right. versus five. Now, all of a sudden, you know, everything out there that has a tie cord needs to have something on it. Versus before, you know, they had 200, and they were solid, and now they got space for 600, but now they have 500, and, you know, 200 of them ain't no good. You know what I mean? Like, they got an extra 100 good right. ones, but they got 200 bad ones on top of that that they're still feeding. So that's why right. I like to always ask that question. Right. You have to see, you know, is your culling standards based on is it a reflection of the size or is it because you're culling regardless of how big your farm is? This is what I look for. This is what I will not accept. I don't care if I got one acre or a thousand acres. I don't want no crooked toes. And that's basically what you're saying. You don't care how big your farm is. You're not dealing with no crooked toes. Yeah, no. And, and it might be that too. Um, you know, props to anybody who's got a lot of chickens. A lot of people I think, who have a lot of chickens and they're doing the work, you know, they might be selling or, or whatever. And they're, it's kind of like a job. For me, I don't want it to be a job. I do it because I love it and I have fun with it. It's a hobby. Um, you know, once it becomes work, nah, it, it's either I'm going to cut down or, you know, I'm not going to do it. You know what I mean? Um, because if, if I have too much and uh, things start to fall apart, you know what I mean? Because you're trying to do too much and and you can't, you know what I mean? Especially having a job, having kids, like it's just it becomes too much. Now, it's a good thing I had kids because I get them out there doing stuff. You know what I mean? They'll help me out and it becomes more of, of one of them things, you know, hey, go, go. You know, whether it be wash the water bowls or go, hey, you know, go feed the chicks. You know, my daughter loves it. So, um, you know, but if it was just still me and it, it becomes work, I told my partner, I'm like, man, if this is going to become work, I don't, you know, I don't want it no more. You know, it just becomes too much and you're stressed out and it's just not fun. And when it's not fun, you don't want to do it. You're not motivated. So for me, it's just if I'm having fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. The other day I woke up, it was like four in the morning. First thing that came in my head was. Man, I got chicks on the yard. I got to go mark. You know what I mean? I haven't even got out of bed. And the first thing that came in my head was chickens. You know, I, you know, people probably think I have a problem. You know, I'm just obsessed. But I've always been that way. You know, I've always been infatuated with, with game fowl. And they've always, you know, and truth be told, they've kept me out of trouble. You know, when I tell people that, they kind of look at it. Well, you know, what do you mean? And I'm, well, I didn't have time to go do stupid things because I got to get home and feed my chickens. You know what I mean? So they've always, they've been good to me. Right. Right. I mean, that's a part that yeah. you know, a lot of people in society will, will never pay attention to, will never give us credit for. 
And, you know, it's like sometimes like beating a dead horse with telling them. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, we talked about the culling. You know, we talked about your, your standards during your selection. Uh, we talked about, you know, if you single mate, you know, uh, flock mate. Um, now let's talk, start, let's fast forward a little bit or either rewind a little bit and start talking about your biddy program. Like, do you, you obviously said you hen hatch, right? You don't use incubators. So I, for me to say that I don't use incubators, is kind of a hypocrite because if I absolutely need them, I will, but I, I choose not to, I try not to, I try my best not to because of the crooked toes and I'm not great at the incubator and brooder thing. Um, I do use the brooder if I if I want more chicks. So what I do is I'll hand hatch. I try to hand hatch everything. But if I want to get more that year, I turn out a bunch of hens, you know, put nest boxes out, let them go to set, and then I swap the eggs. You know what I mean? I mark them, take the hand, uh, eggs from the hens that, I, that I'm breeding, stick them under another hen, let her hatch them, and then I raise them with her. Um, and then you can go as far as I'll pull some chicks, you know, once they're a week old. And throw them in the brooder if I really want a lot. If not, then I just raise them with the hen. You know, gotcha. it's it's easier to me. It's easier to let the mom be a mom than me try to play mom. You know what I mean? Um, it definitely. You know, it, it goes back. Like, it, it, it's easier, and I feel like in the long run, uh, the mentality on them, your feathering on them, everything's just a little bit better. And that's just once again, that's just my opinion on what. I've seen, I've done both. Um, you know, there's no right or wrong. I see guys using incubator and brooder and they're great at it. You know, they're raising a bunch of chickens and they look awesome. They have their programs and I, and I think that's great. But for me, uh, I like to use the hand. I, I, you know, I think nature uh, is, nature didn't mess up. You know, when you got your hands, they raise your chicks. They're teaching them all the things that we cannot teach them. And so I let them raise the chicks, you know, good size. Once the hen will tell you, you know, when she don't want them no more or she starts laying, I'll pull the hen. I just leave the chicks a little bit longer, vaccinate them for pox, and then turn everything out. Got you. Got you. So you pretty much do the, do the hen hatching. And uh, so do you, since you said vaccination, do you vaccinate? No. The only thing I vaccinate for is pox. And the reason I vaccinate for pox is I've had bad experience. Yeah, I've had bad experiences, and I don't know if it's, you know, where we lived, all the corn, some people say some mosquitoes. Uh, I've had bad experiences, so I've always vaccinated for pox. I don't vaccinate for anything else. Um, I never had to, and I feel that uh, when, I, when you start vaccinating for something, you really got to be on it because you're, you're introducing it into your yard, and you can't slack. You know what I mean? If you're going to vaccinate for Merix or CRD, and then... I found out, so when I got the Y-Hackles, one issue I had with the Y-Hackles for the longest time was CRD. They had CRD real bad. Um, and I could never figure it out, right? So I could never figure it out. And I'm like, why is it just my Y-Hackles that have CRD? When I got them from Johnny 2, I'd have them on the yard and I'd have them for, you know, a little while. And they'd either come up with a little rattle as far as uh, some of them would die. You know what I mean? They'd get blue in the face. And they would die, and I could never figure it out, right? One day I was over there helping Johnny uh, catch up some chickens, and I ten and I just had to walk over at at the time I was light, right? So I could walk on pins and stuff. And uh, I walked over the pin, and I seen an old bottle there, and I picked it up, and it was a vaccine. It was a vaccine for CRD, 
So I asked him, I go, Johnny, did you used to vaccinate for CRD? He goes, you know what, I used to. And it kind of hit, you know what, I bet you he used to vaccinate, he stopped it, and now either I have to start vaccinating for it, or I just got to start doing something else because it's there. You know what I mean? And it kind of hit. And ever since then, I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to vaccinate. Um, the family of Dukes, they had Merrick's with that, and that's why I, I, I said, you know what, I'm not going to keep this. And Merrick's came in so many different forms, um, and I just, it kind of scared me a little bit, and I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this family. It would, it would be worse when I would line breed or inbreed. It, it got bad. It got bad. So, you know, I just, yeah, it got bad. It got bad. So, you know, they lose a leg. Um, they would even get cysts on the body. You know, I pick up a rooster that was healthy, and all of a sudden he had cysts all over his body, and I didn't know what that was. Started looking it up, and it was a cinematics. So it came in different forms, you know, the head rolling back, the losing of the leg. Uh, sometimes they look good, but when you go to spar them, they go up good, but then they come down like a rocket and hit the ground, you know what I mean? Because their equilibrium was off. Uh, things like that, and it just scared me, and I said, you know, I don't want to have to vaccinate, you know what I mean? I shouldn't have to. I'm a small operation, and I don't want to have to vaccinate and do all that extra stuff, you know? So uh, I just started breeding to the healthier ones and uh, uh, found the... Uh, that medicine, when you run that LS50 or L-Spec, I think is what they call it, and the water for the first seven days last year, it helped a lot with that CRD. So yeah, hopefully it, uh, it, it it helps, you know what I mean? Yeah, hopefully. I don't know if it will ever eliminate it, but as long as it can reduce it and it gets it, to the point where I can, I can control it or manage it, yeah. Right, right. And, and, and that's that's funny that you say that because I, I I believe and like you say you know you're a small operation you really shouldn't have to vaccinate and and I think also too that that brings light to certain size operations you know they end up encountering different diseases and sicknesses because the just the volume of chicks uh, that they have um, that's why you always got just got to take in consideration your personal operation you know what I mean you might not have to do everything else somebody else is doing you may be able to get away with it because you don't have as many chicks with them. So, you know what I mean? You might be able to get away with it. But Correct. it's funny, too, um, how you said you, you found that bottle. That goes back to understanding, you know, trying to get the history or the background of the of the, of the bird. So, you know, uh, you kind of know what may be something that you might have to deal with later on down the road. So, but uh, you said vaccination Correct. is something and you try not to have to do because it's a bunch of additional work and you're a smaller farm. So uh, tell me this, you hen hatch, um, how, you know, how do you start your chicks off as far as feed? You know, what type of feed program do you start your chicks off with since they are hen hatch? Obviously, are you feeding the hen the same feed you feed the chicks or how do you do that? I, I think the hen same thing. Uh, I just feed uh, Purina, the chick starter chick starter and then it'll i can move it up to you know it turns into a pellet but uh it's i believe 20 percent uh and i wet it i tend to wet it a lot some people had asked on instagram when i when i was wetting it they were like well why do you do that and i did it for a couple reasons well when we were at the dairy i would wet it with, with milk i would use goat milk um but uh i don't have the goat milk and actually using goat milk and what I noticed with that is I started getting too many big chickens. Um, so I started to uh, change it to water and I just wet it, you know, so that it, the chickens, when you go put it with the hen, 
they can't kick it all over the place. Because you put it in the dry, you know how the hands get. They get kicking it around, and it's a big old mess. And then on the plus side, too, is when you go to wet your chick feet, so you got a big operation, um, and you're, you're soaking the feet, I'll put the bucket, and if I'm going to run dewormer or I'm going to run uh, any type of medicine or vitamins, probiotics, I can run it in the water, dump the feet in it. The feet soaks it up, and I think it tends to go through their system a little slower than if you were to put it in the water. Mm, you know what I mean? So I, f- I feel like you get the full benefit of it. But I'll walk around every day and feed every hand until the chicks are big. Once the chicks are turned out, then I'll have trays, you know, where I can feed them. Right. And, and, and how old I, do the chicks usually be before you pull them out of the pins or pull them away from the hens? As big as the, the hen will allow me to. Like I said, you'll either, she'll start laying and it's about time that, you know, you pull her out. Or um, she'll want to start pecking at them, you know what I mean, and kind of get them to, to get away from her, and I'll pull them out. You know, as soon as they're big enough to be by themselves and she's not really doing much, I'll usually pull the hen out. Got you. Got you. So you pull the yeah. hen out, lead the chicks in there. Correct. Yeah, a buddy of mine told me, um, actually it was uh, Ron, Ron uh, from Cowtown. He had he goes, you know, one thing that will help is raising, wherever you're going to raise your chicks, Raise them there and don't move them. For whatever reason, you know, the stress or whatever it may be, uh, it'll tend to, you'll get your chicks to get sick a lot easier. You know what I mean? Um, so wherever I raise the hands with chicks, I'll pull the hand and leave the chicks. And then if anything, I, I open the doors or turn them out, I won't, I won't relocate them. Because I used to relocate them all the time, right? Because I needed the room and I had big old pins in the back. You know, we had 20 acres and uh, I would move everything over there. Well, then you start noticing that with stress, and stuff they start playing at each other they start fighting or um they start to want to get sick on you Mm, so So i've always just kind of left them yeah got you got you okay so you try not to relocate them because you've seen that it caused a lot of it it caused a lot of issues every time you relocated them from where they originally hatched at correct so you know you know, then you get them out there, they run around on a free range, you know, when do you start to give them, say, their first wormer, if you even worm them? Because everybody don't worm, most people do, but everybody doesn't worm. So do you worm your chickens? And if you do, when is the first, you know, when is the first time you expose the chick to wormer? Uh, you know what, I used to worm them a little more constant. You know, they start like at two months and then every like, you know, month or two months, I would want to worm them. But I think it's, sometimes you overdo things. So now I'll worm them every couple months. I'll use, you know, that blue bossanero stuff that they sell. And I think that stuff's great. Um, and I'll worm them with that. And if, and if I don't think they really need it, I don't want to give them any of that extra. Like if I don't think they're going to need wormer, um, and maybe they do, maybe I'm not worming enough. Um, but if it makes it looking healthy, uh, the way I think about it is, is if they're out there and they're looking healthy and you don't think they're wormy or anything like that, there's no no need to be giving them warmer, you know what I mean? Because I think too much of anything can be bad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I'll worm, you know, I might worm them in two months if I think they need it. Like out of the brooder, I, I think you need wormer and stuff for coxie. A lot more because too many chickens in one place you know droppings everywhere they're picking up stuff uh, I think you need a warmer more but with the hand very seldom do I think they need a warmer it might be you know 
four or five months before I won those checks. Got you. Got you. I mean, that's good to hear, too, yeah. because, again, I, I know we hear a lot. It's been so many people, you know, they put their birds on a regiment of wormy, a wormer, a wormer regiment. And, and uh, I don't I don't know if every farm needs it. You know, I know a lot of the larger farms do, um, uh, but I don't know if every single farm needs it. And, and it's a lot of things you got to take into consideration. The environment you have them in, some yards that some of these chickens are being kept in, they probably need wormers to be wormed every every month. Uh, but I don't think, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I don't think every chicken automatically needs, because first of all, you're never going to have them completely worm-free, completely worm-free. And a bird can tolerate a certain amount of worms period there there's you can worm them a day right. and 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 i promise you in in, in seven days they're probably going to have worms some type of worms it's not going to be out of control you know but it'd be hard for me to believe even if you worm every month if i cut that chicken open you know 21 days into that month that he's not going to have not one single worm in him you know what I mean? I think if I had to bet, he's going to have a few in there, but it ain't going to be enough to affect his health. You know, and I think sometimes, you know, some people don't take that in consideration. You know, you got to look at it. It's two different things. You're not going to ever get them completely worm free. From my opinion and talking to veterinarians and even people who run poultry houses. Um, but they said it's, it's just a tolerable amount. You know, they said worms is a part of the ecosystem of a, of a chicken's digestive system. So a little bit of worms is fine. Too much worms is no good. So I think that's right. something that everybody needs to take in consideration. That's something that you already practice. Like you say, you don't worm every single month. If they look good, they feel good, they acting good, you don't worm, right? Well, yeah, it goes back to, um, like I tell people, you know, for example, this is just an example, Hawaii. They got chickens running around all over that island. Nobody's feeding them. They're drinking out of gutters. Nobody's, uh, they're drinking out of gutters. Nobody's feeding them. Nobody's warming them. Uh, they're just out there free ranging. And they probably look healthier than some of the chickens that are in the pens. You know, you hear stories about, you know, all these roosters that are jumping the wall and they're beating up, you know, four or five of the roosters on cord. You know what I mean? And where's their wormer? Where's all that? I think the more we baby these chickens, and I, I don't want people thinking like, oh, well, you know, he said, you, I ain't got to do it. No, I mean, I think the more we baby these chickens, the worse it is. I think there are they are going to develop natural immunities to certain things. I think, um, you know, you start cleaning, it goes back to those water bowls. You start cleaning them water bowls, you better stay on top of it. You know what I mean? Because right. once, if you're cleaning it and then you slack off, well, they might pick up some bacteria because they're not used to that bacteria. Yeah. Um, there's just some things that I don't, I think people hype up the worming they hype up all this because you see it on social media you, this guy said this this guy said that um i've always been more of a hands-on uh if i think they need it great if i don't i won't use it there was a local man here who taught me all about that this man was anti-everything he wouldn't give him no meds there was no meds you want to talk about extreme calling this guy was quick to dig a hole and just bury everything if it if it need be um, he was extremely hard. He would not worm. And one thing he did have that I noticed was space. He would have his cocks on eight to ten foot cords. Uh, he did have his space. He had a lot of orientals. And orientals, I don't know what it is about orientals. They're like blue grass. You plant it and they just grow. You know what I mean? They, they're always naturally healthy. So he had a lot of orientals. 
Um, but he's anti everything, and he told me he goes, you know, I'm not a vet. I'm not gonna walk around with a bag of meds and spend all this money. He goes, if they don't look right, he goes, I call them. And he had some of the most the healthiest chickens that I've ever seen. Granted, he had green grass and he would give them fruit. He had fruit trees and things like that, but he wasn't into all this. Now I see all these meds and everything, and I feel like we, the more we use it, the more we need it. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and he kind of yeah, just taught I mean, me. And I think there's some science that, no, there, there's some science that can, can pretty much back up that statement. You know, and, and it's not only just with chickens. You see it in, in multiple other different animals, too, in dog, dog breeding, horse breeding. Like, the more you baby them, it's like the weaker their genetics get. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, uh, it's the same thing like the CDC said about cleaning. Like, you can use too much sanitizer is actually making humans unhealthy because it's not allowing us to be exposed to certain type of bacteria and germs. So our immune system is not really used to dealing with it. So it becomes weaker over time. Um, Correct. And it's, it's back to, like you saying, a lot of people in the commercial poultry industry don't really do any worming at all. Um, they use different types of feeds like oats and stuff like that that kind of make it an irritable environment for the worms. But still, um, I, I kind of agree. The more you baby them, to me, the weaker they get. That's just my experience. Correct. And, and like me, one issue I do, I do run into at my place is coxie. I do run into coxie. And I think part of that, so there's other places where they have sand. And I don't know what it is about the sand. Maybe the chickens, um, you know, the manure doesn't build up as much. And because, you know, with sand, it kind of dissipates, especially when it's windy. It kind of blows it off. If it rains, it goes into the dirt. Where I live, it's like cement. Um, I could break up the dirt and next day it'll be back to rock. And I do um, have issues with coxie. So I have to run stuff for coxie, um, you know, from time to time when I think I, that they need it. But that's because I also have a lot of chickens and the, I don't have the spacing that some people have. You know, I think space is, is a big thing. If you can get your chickens to have space, I think you're ahead. You're not going to need so many meds and things like that because of, you know, some of these big breeders, one thing I noticed is they might have a five by five foot pen and there's 15 foot all the way around them. You know what I mean? There's so much space. You can put three, four pins between them. You know, and us in small places, we want, you know, a foot between them. And I think spacing is a big, a big part. Exactly. No, that's, that, yeah. that's, that's um, exactly right. I think, I think it goes back to the environment. Like I said, based on the environment, we'll determine some of them going to have to get warmed every month looking at the environment that they're in. Um, but the more space you give them, because again, overcrowding and not just in, in brooders, but you can have overcrowding on a yard. So a lot of guys think that when, when you say overcrowding, you're only talking about in a brooder no you can have overcrowding on a yard you can have too many chickens in a in an area and you will have a lot of issues a lot of sickness issues they'll always be getting sick they'll have different types of gut infections you know every time you turn around it'd be something and when you look at it correct times the chickens don't have enough space man it's like you gotta give them some breathing room like they don't have enough space they, they poop you know what i'm saying it's like when they poop it's dropping on another yeah. chicken. You know, it's just like, it's just too much in there. There's too much going on. Too many chickens in there. Um, and that only goes for the brooder, but that also go on a yard. You have a yard, man, and you got way too much chickens in that yard. You want to constantly have to medicate or you'll constantly have sick chickens. That's what I have just seen. Correct. 
Well, so, I mean, it goes to like a foster farms. You know, they they have a lot of chickens, and you know, I know somebody who is close to foster farms as far as they work there and stuff like that, and and deal with everything, and you know, they're doing so many chickens, and they vaccinate for everything, and they run water with meds every time they clean the house. They take all the dirt out. They run stuff, you know, for uh, you know, for any type of diseases. They they run it in the whole house. They make sure they're very hands-on as far as sanitizing and making sure that the chickens are healthy and they still run into problems where they got to kill you know 40,000 chickens because some it was some type of outbreak um and i think that has a lot to do because you got so many chickens in one place mm-hmm. you know what i mean and they still get it you know and it's an in, in you know it's a place that's, that's enclosed mm-hmm. you know what i mean so it's not like you know they're getting random chickens to go in there um they might get birds but uh, I just think when you got that many chickens in one place, it just it could be a disaster. And it goes back to the yard. You know, we're not that bad, but when you have a lot of chickens in in one place, no matter where it is, uh, you're always gonna run into some type of issue. Right. So you saying space is definitely key? You know, when you're raising chickens in mm-hmm. the yard. Right. Correct. And I, and I guess that goes for a lot of uh, the medium to the small small time. Uh, breeders, I think space is more so a challenge to them because sometimes they're not small because they want to be small. They're small because they're limited on space. But you know how addicted chickens can be. You know, once you get one, then you want this one and that one and this one and that one, and you forget your yard is only like a tenth of an acre. And before you know it, you got all these chickens in that one yard, dude, and it's, you know, you start running into issues and you start blaming it on everything outside of the yard, and your issue is the lack of space. You know, I have hear guys talk about oh, this really gave me this bird and man, I had it for two weeks and he got sick. And well, I mean, look at where you brought the bird to versus where he left. Look at the place where he was living before he came to your house. You know, that's probably why he got yeah. sick. I mean, look at where he's staying. So, you know, I think that that's something that a lot of people just can't overlook and take for granted. You got to take a look at where those birds are coming from versus where they're going. And again, that can be part of your decision. Like, you know, do I have enough room? Look at what they used to. I'm about to bring them over here. I may need to get rid of some to give these buddies more room because they're used to having a lot more space than this two by two cage I got them in. You know what I mean? If they come in from a tie cord right. and now you're trying to put them in a, in a three by three, that might be a problem. I mean, it could call, and then you're going to throw a hen in there with them. That can cause a problem. So. Uh, right. It's something that you say that you have learned from experience. When you have too many, you start to run into a health issues. Yeah, uh, we actually we took out 50 pins and we put 20 tie cords. Um, and I thought that was a big help. It opened up the yard. And it was just because of that reason. I, I just felt like there's too many chickens. It was too much work. Um, it just became an issue all the way around. And I didn't think we needed it. And I still think we, we have too many chickens in our place. You know what I mean? We can do better, you know, and cut back even more. Um, but, you know, we want to be chicken hoarders and raise a bunch of chickens. And, you know, that's, it's, you know, it's, no one's perfect. And I know I have things that I got to work on. My health, you know, I'm still a stickler for, for health. Um, I, I always get on my own case as far as i want healthier chickens no matter you know i'll have people come over like oh your stags look great or your chickens are super healthy and i still think i can do better and you have to you know what i mean i think health is one of the biggest parts of of all this right um i don't know that's just learning 
I tell people I'll take a healthy dumbbell over an ace that's been sick his whole life. <laughs> and you know, it's funny you know what I mean. What, what Les saying is, you know, is a couple guys in the comments. Drake's is saying that he he kind of seen the same thing when he consistently wormed his birds. It seemed like they got sick easier than when he you know wormed them, spread out the worming. And and again, it goes back to what you were saying earlier. You baby them too much, it seems like they tend to get sick more. Um, well, like James a, say, let a chicken be a chicken. Correct. And, and you know, one thing I did learn, um, going back to that gentleman, he, uh, one of the problems I think with worming and doing all that, if you don't really understand how all that stuff works as far as, um, bacterias and stuff like that, you can, you can cause harm for the longest time. I didn't understand it. I went to a guy's place one time, and he had his chicken, you know, they look great and everything, you know, real red faces. And then he started telling me about probiotics. I didn't know what probiotics were. You know what I mean? I didn't understand it. So I started picking his brain and, and, and asking him, you know, hey, you know, what are probiotics? And he goes, well, he goes, probiotics, he, he broke it down in kind of in a way that I can understand. He kind of dumbed it down for me. And he said, when you're using probiotics, probiotics... Uh, so when you run anything through the water, whether it be dewormer, uh, stuff for coxie, stuff, you know, any type of meds, you're getting rid of all the bacterias, right? You're getting rid of the back, bad bacterias and the good bacterias. So you want to run probiotics so that the good bacterias beat the bad ones back into the system because he's going to go out there. He's going to pick up bad bacterias again. So you want to try to get them to get the, the good ones in there before you get the bad ones so that it helps fight that. If you're constantly warming and you're not putting anything good back into them, that might be one of the issues. Right. I don't know if that makes any sense. Right. No, no, that, 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 I mean, probi that makes probiotics, exactly yeah. Probiotics helped me a lot as far as health goes. Uh, once I understood it, you know, cause I was just running these meds, running these meds. And then it was a short time after I felt like I had to run meds again and they were constantly getting sick and he kind of dumbed it down for me i started doing that and i did notice a difference and he was the type of person he'd make his soaked oats and he'd put buttermilk he'd put milk he'd put all kinds of dairy products and it was just a slop but it helped him with all the probiotics the chickens needed yes mm, yeah okay i got you know in probiotics is good for humans too we don't do it. Right. humans got probably the worst gut health on the planet because we definitely our diet is so far from natural is 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 not funny but so, right. so probiotics is a big part of your feeding program huh probiotics correct i i'm yeah i do use probiotics i try to at least so, as much as possible anytime i rest up through the water i run probiotics right after so tell me this is this, this is probably you know I'm not the last topic but since we go in that direction we're talking about probiotics Let's go ahead and just talk a little bit about your feed. You know, do you see feed the same feed all year long? If you do, what is it? If you don't, you know, why not? And, and what else do you feed? So for the longest time, growing up, we used to use top of the line feed. Uh, at the time, Jose Guerrero was like one of the better feeds. Uh, we used to feed that to the whole yard. And then we went to um, a custom mix that someone had made. We went and then we went to TMC. And then I ran into a gentleman who all he was feeding, he was doing very well. And he taught me that all he needed in his perspective was power scratch and protein pellet. And power scratch and what else? 
a protein pellet, some type of protein pellet. And we started doing the mix like that. And then I would just adjust accordingly. Um, I felt like it was well, it was good on, it wasn't expensive. So if you're going out there and you're worried about feeding, you know, top of the line feed, uh, just feeding that, you know, just a power scratch and a pellet. Um, and this is for the people, you know, if, if you need to, it's a cheaper way, way to go. And it's, it, you're, you'll be fine. Uh, we, ran, we started feeding that and then we would just add uh, some type of pigeon feed to it. Like, a, you know, any pea just to raise the protein a little bit. I started making a custom mix and that's just how they did it. Um, when I ran, when I was feeding TMC and some of the other Gamecock mixes, they were a little higher in protein, which was fine. It just felt good. The problem that I ran into was in the summertime. I started losing a lot of chickens in the summer. And, you know, it didn't hit me until I switched feeds that I was keeping too much fat on my roosters. Um, you know, even in the shade under a tree, it didn't matter. They were dying. And I'm like, man, these, you know, this rooster was under a tree. Well, they were too fat. And ever since I switched to to the feed where it was a little bit less protein. Um, they still have that round body, they still feel good, but they don't have that fat in the back. And I haven't, I've had better luck in the summer with it. So the only difference I do is summertime, corn, wintertime, I feed uh, whole corn. And that's really the only difference, you know what I mean? I don't feed anything special, you know? Mm -hmm. so, and then so in the summer, I'll also feed soak oats. Okay, so you'll feed soak oats. Is there any particular reason? Because I know a lot of guys feed soak oats. You know, is there any particular reason you feed? Well, what is the reason you feed the soak oat? And what type of benefit do you see from the soak oats? Probiotics. Um, I feel like the soak oats helps with um, their health overall. You know, I do run a little bit of uh, vitamins in there too. It kind of gives them that boost, especially in the mole. I feel like in the mole, people don't understand how important it is. In the mole, if if you're giving it 100% in the mole, um, you, need, you need it more in the mole than you, you do anywhere else is where I'm trying to say it. Um, you do need to take care of your chickens all year long, but people, I feel, forget that just because they're in the mole and you can't do anything with them, they kind of tend to forget about them. Does that make sense? Um, you know, and then the rest of the year, they're scratching their head wondering, like, you know, what's going on? Well, dude, you didn't take care of them in the mole. So in the mole, I do baby them a little more as far as I try to cater to them the soaked oats to me puts a little bit of moisture in them too so that with the heat and stuff like that it helps and then um, i do keep some vitamins in there and then uh as far as probiotics and keeps a little bit of that fat off the back end it helps with that um i should be feeding it all year i know a lot of guys feed it all year uh in the winter i just i don't for whatever reason whether it does it's wet or i'm lazy i don't you can say whatever it is, or it's too cold, and I don't like my hands being frozen in the morning, you know what I mean? Um, I should be, but I do hit them in the summertime. In the summertime, as soon as I'm warming up, I hit them soaked oats. Um, yeah, no, I don't like I the love, cold, you know, hats off. I love, I love the honesty, Hats dude, off to because... everybody out there that that goes out there in the snow, and the other day, I think we were talking, it was, uh, I was listening to Tammy, and she was saying below zero, and I was just like, nope. I'd be like a little chick huddled up in the corner, like, no, that's not for me. You know what I mean? I don't like the cold and uh, them so close when they hurting your hands and I can't feel it and I'm trying to hurry so I can get to work. Like, nah, it doesn't work. So I usually tend to feed them more in the summertime. Well, well, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure thousands of people watching can relate to that. 
believe me. I mean, they might not get on an interview and be brutally honest, but I'm telling like we talked about it before. <laughs> a lot of people say a lot of stuff, and I promise you, they not doing it. You know what I mean? And, and I'll be like, he ain't doing that. I mean, this sounds good in the interview, and the information may be correct. It, I'm not saying they're they're spreading false information, but a lot of times, you know, there's some exaggeration. You know what I mean? On, on really what's going on on them farms. And I'm like, I don't really well, think you're doing all the that. The thing is, I don't think there's any point in lying. You know what I mean? Right. If, you, if you're lying sooner or later, it's just, it's going to catch up. I, you know, I am who I am. I can't change it for anybody. You know what I mean? And, and I'll be honest, you know, I don't like my hands being frozen. It isn't even the smell. You know, we have a little regimen that we use for the smell. So it's not even that. Before it was bad, you know, and the, and the old timers would always tell me, you know, the more they stink, the better they are. And I'm like, dude, I can't do it. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> then it gets stuck on your hands. And you're literally going all day just with that in your nose. And, and it's just, yeah. so we have a little regimen with the whole vinegar and all that stuff where it, it helps with that. Um, right. But yeah, in the summertime, I'm big on, on oats and, and making sure that they're really catered to in the summer. Make sure they always got water. We got sprinklers that are built in. So make sure because chickens don't like the heat. They take pretty well but they don't like that heat as soon as it starts getting hot they'll start opening that beak and they start to stress and it's all bad so yeah i try to take care of them uh, as much as i can at least you know right right so well listen dude i mean we almost had two hours remember i talked about it <laughs> remember we talked about how long we're almost at two hours man and like i said i know it's a lot more that we can talk about um, you know, at this two, we almost at two hours. I would like for you to come on again so we can talk about some additional stuff. It's some other stuff I would like to cover and talk about. Um, and we'll base that on a feedback that we get in this comments. It's a lot of questions in the comments section that I didn't get to. So I would like to go through those comments and the next time you, a lot of those questions in the comments and the next time you come on, we can talk about those questions uh, in the comment section, because we almost said two hours, and I didn't ask you not one question out the comment. Well, I only asked you only one question out the comment section. So just imagine if I was yeah, asking a little question out the comment section, it'd have been three. I yeah, it's it's easy to you know we all know as chicken men, chicken women, it's easy for time to get away from us when we're talking chicken. Uh, we all love it. Uh, if anybody does have um, any questions like i only have instagram i don't do the facebook thing or anything like that but if they have questions i've never shied away from questions anybody who wants uh, and I, I might be wrong i'll give you my my outtake on things if i can help somebody i think it's great um i i've never shied away from a question you know if i don't know it i'll try and direct them to somebody who might um and i just think it's it's a good thing when you can teach people and and not it goes back to i don't i'm not i don't know everything jim none of us do but I can give you my experience, you know what I mean? What, I, what I've had, you know, at least, you know what I mean? So if anyone ever has questions, I always tell people, you know, you can ask, you know, there's no, there's no bad question. You know, um, my dad's always told me, you know, the, you can't offend anybody by asking questions because you don't know, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so anybody who has questions and they want to reach out to me and ask. And where can they reach you at on Instagram? What's your Instagram name for anybody who's, who uh, uh, has this? It's just those Portugueses. Okay. All right. And guys, I will also yeah. put that name um, in the – once we're done with this, I'll go ahead and edit it and, and, and put that name. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put it in, like, the description. 
So you can look at the name in the description, and if you didn't hear what he just said, put that name in the description. Why don't you say it and spell it for him? So this way, anybody watching, they may can go ahead and look at it right after now. Uh, Los Portugueses is L-O-S-P-O-R-T-U-G-U-E-S-E-S. -E -E Los right. Portugueses. Right. And I know, the, I'm, let me just say this one question, uh, ask you this one question. The guys that asking, is the oats whole or milk? Like, are they in the hulls or what? Your, your, your oats? Uh, I just so always get the clean oats. I just get recleaned oats, and a lot of times when you, when you drop that bag in there, just make sure you clean that because it'll all the bad ones will float to the top. Just scrape them out, chuck them. Um, the good ones will sink. Yeah, because sometimes dirt and whatnot—not necessarily dirt—but you get other trash that comes in there, and when you drop the oats in there, and then anybody who wants the regimen, I mean, I got it off Sabong a long time ago, and I thought it was great, um, and I'll give it to whoever needs it. You know what I mean? Uh, it'll help anyone. Right. I mean, I think it will. This was a great, great interview. It's some additional stuff that we want to talk about. So I would love to have you come on again uh, so we can address a lot of those questions. They had some other questions about your family of birds and stuff like that. Some of the stuff we didn't we didn't get to cover, you know, again, that I've seen in, in, in the question. So I would like if you like, you know, if you can come on again so we can, you know, do part two. And it'd be, we'll start out with just addressing the questions that came out of the comment section and not start over all the way from the beginning they can watch part one if they didn't see it but uh part two yeah. let's talk about the stuff that we didn't talk about in part one so um i hope all y'all guys it looked like we had a pretty strong uh consistent 100 people minimum watching it was over 100 at certain times but it was been at least like 100 people watching all the time which was great 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 so i think the interview was great guys i hope y'all enjoyed it um Everybody on YouTube, you know, I hope y'all guys enjoyed it. If you're watching from YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button and hit that bell for the notification because we'll be doing more live interviews. Also, if you're on watching from Facebook, you know, just make sure you hit that like button and that follow on the Journey to the Pit Facebook page. Um, and we'll be having more. We got another interview that'll be coming up Friday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we talked about this earlier, but that's three hour difference from West Coast. So it'd be 9 p.m. East Coast, 6 p.m. West Coast. And if you're in between, y'all need to figure that out. You know, I don't know what state you're in, if you're one hour or two hours behind. But whatever you, wherever you are, you know, it's one hour, uh, it's 9, 9 p.m. on the East Coast. And it is uh, 6 p.m. on the West Coast. Um so we're going to have him come on again on part two. And, guys, so just know a lot of the questions that y'all guys asked. We will answer those questions in this part two of this interview. Uh, I hope y'all guys enjoyed it. Um, it was a lot, a lot of great information. I totally appreciate your brutal honesty. You know, like you said about the water bowls and this and that. And you don't like to go. I mean, that that's the stuff that needs to be heard because, you know, some people can get, you know, confused and, and kind of get discouraged. When they hear everybody else doing all this other stuff, and like, man, I'm not even doing half of this. I'm out to just throw the towel in. Well, sometimes those people are not doing everything that they tell you they're doing. You know, so uh, I, I, I'm glad that you came on and said, hey, listen, I don't like to do this. I don't like to do that. I don't always clean water bowls, this, this, and that. That's what we need to hear. Authentic information. And the guys that do do it, we need to hear that too. But I hope y'all guys really seeing, you know, um, um, some value in this interview. Um, like he said, he's not a large farm. He's a working man with the family, um, still active, 
uh, breeds his birds and has four families. And like I said, I think it's a lot that we can all take from this interview. And hopefully I will see y'all guys next Friday. So, Portuguese, I greatly appreciate you coming on. And uh, I will talk to you soon. And we'll set up a time, man, so you can do that part two. Is any closing words you want to say okay. before we uh, sign off? No, I just think <clears throat> what you're doing is great. You know, I listen to your podcast, and there's still a lot that I learn. I've been in this for, it seems like, forever, and I'm still learning. And I think when I'm 70, I'll still be learning. There's always things that we can learn. I just think people, you got to listen. You know, if you if you really want to listen and uh, look at things for what they are, always be open-minded about things. Um, sometimes I even have issues with that. Being a stubborn Portuguese, sometimes I'm not open-minded enough. And that's, you know, something I got to fix amongst myself. But as long as anybody wants to listen and learn, there's always there's always room for improvement, you know. Um, you know, no one knows it all. We're all in this just because we all have feathers in our heart and we love these dang chickens. So uh, I just think, like, um, everybody kind of just needs to be more united and help one another out. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's exactly right, man. Those are some great closing words because that's exactly right. I agree with every bit of it. We're going to always be learning. We're all on the same team. We need to always stay united, and it's always, you know, we can always improve on what we have. So you get good information from where you get it from. It doesn't, don't determine based upon how long somebody's been in the sport or how big their farm is. You can't value information based on those two criteria. Just listen to it. Take, take and use what you can use, and the rest of it, just let it stay stored in your brain. So that's it. But, guys, y'all have a good night. Cordigui, I appreciate it again, man. We'll Thank be you, in Jim. touch, man, so we can set it up for this part two so we can get all these questions that's being asked. Uh, and um, uh, all these questions. Oh, Fred said you ain't got no shout-outs. There's, of- <laughs> There's a lot of people over here. Ronnie's on here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Those guys you, are – Fred Hoover, Ron, they're, yeah, my group of, I'm very blessed. I've always been uh, surrounded by, you know, with the group of guys that I hang out with. You met most of them at the show. Uh, they're a great group of guys. You know, we sit around and talk chickens for forever, it seems like. Um, I don't know how we're not all divorced and living together. Like, <laughs> we, we hang out and talk chickens so much, you know, our wives got to be tired of it. Um, there are just a bunch of group of guys that, uh, you know, love chickens like I do, and, you know, they're all easygoing. It's just, it's been fun, you know, and, and we got to enjoy this as much as we can because, Jim, one day we might not have this, you know what I mean? It might get to the point where, you know, we don't have chickens. So enjoy it while you can, you know what I mean? Enjoy your friendships, enjoy your chickens, uh, enjoy everything while you got it. That's exactly right. And just to let you know, man, as people have been watching, checking in from all over, Dominican Republic, the Philippines, Ireland, I mean, just Peru, uh, is people have been watching from all over. I just been just looking at some of the um, some of the uh, uh, shout outs. Well, you know, people saying where they're from. So it's been a great interview, guys. Man, it's been long. We at the two hour mark. Um, I greatly appreciate y'all guys tuning in. Like yep. I said before, please share the videos. Share it. The, share the these interviews, man. They're very very powerful. And if it's something that you can learn from, I'm pretty sure somebody on your page that or your friends list that can learn from it. So like I say. Let's share this information. I will see y'all guys next week. Portuguese, I'll be talking to you very soon. We'll set up this part two. For everyone else, good night. It was a pleasure having fun, hanging out with y'all guys. Learned a lot tonight as I do on every one of the last one of these interviews. And I will talk to y'all guys soon. All right, Portuguese, I'll talk to you soon, brother.
All right, Jim. Thanks. Have a good night. All righty, guys. That was the uh, closeout of the interview. We was at two hours. Um, it's still a lot to talk about. I know I did not have an opportunity uh, to answer a lot of y'all guys' questions in the comments section, but he's going to come on again, and we're going to uh, get to all those questions from YouTube and from Facebook. I'll get those questions answered in his part two of his interview. Um, it won't be next week. Next week, we have another special guest. I will post it on Monday. But we have another special guest. Uh, again, once again, be another great interview, a whole different perspective. Uh, this, our next special guest will be from Hawaii, from Hawaii. So uh, I'm not going to tell you his name. I will post that on Monday. But this breeder is from Hawaii. And I think, again, there's a lot that we can learn, especially, you know, in a, in a, in a, on an island uh, where the climate is very humid, um, a lot of rain. You know, that's always a challenge with many of us game foul people. We always got a lot of questions about that type of stuff. So, again, he will be the third Hawaiian that Journey, Journey to the Pit has had on the show. So he'll be on next Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I will post up the information on uh, the Facebook, Journey to the Pit Facebook uh, page. And I will also post the information on Journey to the Pit Instagram. Um, and then I will try to get it posted on Journey to the Pit uh, YouTube channel, but it'll be going up on Monday. I'll put the flyer up, but remember guys, the interview will be 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is a three-hour difference from the West Coast. 9 p.m. on East Coast, 6 p.m. on the West Coast. I will see y'all guys next Friday at 9 p.m. Y'all all stay focused, stay positive, and we'll all stay blessed. Have a good night.